This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast, today with another installment in our Residency Spotlight Series. Today, we are delighted to be joined by the Program Director for MGH, the Massachusetts General Hospital in uh, Boston, Dr. Brian Nahead, who's been kind enough to give us his time today. Dr. Nahead, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, like I said, we're just delighted to have you come on and talk about uh, a storied institution such as MGH. Uh, for our listeners who haven't met you before, who don't know you, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself, and then we can talk about the program as you see it from the inside. Sure. Well, well, thank you again for the invitation. Um, so my name is uh, Brian Nahead. I'm the uh, program director for the uh, MGH uh, Neurosurgery Residency Program. Um, I did my uh, undergraduate at UCLA, my uh, medical school at Yale. Um, I was fortunate to, to do my residency training at, at MGH. Um, where I was recruited and stayed on as faculty. Uh, my practice is uh, focused on neurosurgical oncology, um, and um, I've been involved um, with not only uh, our own um, department, but hospital initiatives for a while, and education is a very big, big, um, important role in, in not only my job, but, but uh, one of my uh, interests. Um, and in addition to the role that I serve, um, as on the program side, I also um, work closely uh, with my colleagues uh, uh, through the CNS on education. Well, that's phenomenal. You know, it's always interesting in the course of this series, we've talked to people at, at so many institutions, and I always find it fascinating to talk to someone who uh, trained at a program, has stayed on, and then becomes the program director because you have such a unique insight as in, into what it's like to be a resident in the program to experience the training with its faults and its strong points and things that you may have thought when you were a resident, oh, I wish it were X, Y, Z, and now you're in a position to make those changes. So as someone with that perspective, maybe you could tell our listeners from your point of view, what does the MGH residency mean to you? What is the culture? What are, what are the hallmarks of neurosurgical training there? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question and an important point to highlight. I know the program obviously as a, a, a resident and um, later uh, as a uh, uh, attending and then obviously associate program director and then program director. Um, you know, I think the best thing about our program and probably the thing that most people don't realize is all the great changes in the culture are actually defined by our residents and have been um, from the beginning of the program up till now. Um, all the great initiatives, all the great efforts, and frankly, all the control and, and the drive um, we are so proud on the attending side and when I was a resident um, on the resident side to champion uh, new ideas and new thoughts um, and really bring the culture through. It's a really uh, very close-knit group of folks. My best friends are from uh, my time in residency and I'm glad that that culture has uh, continued. Um, one of the greatest gifts of, of being at our program is uh, the ability to... to um, be treated like a colleague. Um, when I was a resident, it was the thing I loved the most. And it's certainly something that I and um, from uh, our chair, Dr. Carter, on down throughout our faculty, we view our residents as our, our, our colleagues, our, not only our future colleagues, but our current colleagues. And with that comes, it's not just lip service, it comes a responsibility to treat somebody with the same amount of respect you would a colleague. 
um, and not view someone as a trainee. And yet it also imparts a level of responsibility to protect and also share uh, everything that you were given to, to give to the next generation. So um, I think we've been lucky that the, the, the program's quite stable and the culture is really the major uh, and, and really the secret sauce that pulls it all together. Excellent. And, you know, it, it's funny talking about MGH and uh, the, the Harvard medical program, because when, when people talk about Harvard, the joke is always of oh, a, a little school outside of Boston. But maybe you could tell for our listeners who haven't been to the area where where in the town is the hospital situated? What what's the geography like and what hospitals do the residents circulate at? And maybe you could talk a bit about the environment there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm a, um, originally from Los Angeles. So uh, this is and this was my um, uh, East Coast stint for not only med school and, and residency. So um, I, I would say that I'm not only a, a visitor, but now a, a, a lifelong Boston person, which I never thought I would say. It's an incredible city. And I think the city is, um, uh, the city's energy comes from the fact that there are just so many schools, so many programs, so many academic institutions, universities, um, that uh, in such a small area that it really, there's a, just a sense of vibrancy that, that um, you can feel. Um, Boston itself um, is, is a fantastic uh, city. Uh, Mass General, we're quite fortunate. We're right um, along the Charles River as it meets the ocean uh, at the intersection of some major highways right by the airport, right by a lot of the, the downtown area. And so um, it's a general hospital and, and it proud, pride itself on being a general hospital. And yet it also, while manifesting that um, mission, um, being open to, to the masses, it also has become a quaternary referral center um, with a very, very large volume beyond New England and the US, but even internationally. And so that volume and the geography sort of play very well together because we are conveniently located through a lot of things, but also the city is uh, navigated um, so easily by uh, folks locally, but also our residents and our faculty that um, you could get to and get around very quickly. Um, one of the great things about our program is we're right across the street, or right across the river, I should say, from MIT. We're, you know, about a mile away from the medical school. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the access to uh, children's Hospital and other hospitals. Our residents rotate primarily at our hospital, um, which is great because we have a, a, a very strong contingent there. Um, and also culturally, everybody's linked uh, and see everybody and support everybody. Um, we have two dedicated years of research, uh, which you can do anything you want to do. Pursue a dual degree at any institution, work in a traditional lab, whether it's a clinical or basic science lab. Um, certainly, Global health is, a, is a, another big effort, and that can be done outside, obviously, of the U.S. Um, to any, pretty much any other effort. And I think those two dedicated years are um, such a huge uh, um, point for our residents to not only start their careers, but for us to support them to do it. In terms of the other resources within the city, I mentioned a number of different institutions. Our residents do rotate at uh, Children's Hospital Boston, which is you know, a premier uh, children's hospital. Um, and that is also very, very close to our hospital. Um, the majority of our residents live in town, but some live uh, a little bit further out so that um, they can get a little more space and, and all uh, you get sort of all walks of life. 
That's phenomenal. And, you know, I, I'm glad you touched on the elective time. I, I will say as a, a minor shout out, my friend Faith Robertson, one of your residents, I just saw announced online today that she's going to be doing an MBA for part of her enfolded elective time. Uh, she was actually on the podcast a couple of years ago, right at the end of her intern year, talking about those experiences. So I've heard only good things from her. And obviously she's uh, taking advantage of, of that enfolded elective time uh, to the utmost. Um, but with, you know, I feel that with each question, you keep coming back to the residents, the residents and, and the collegial re, uh, relationships you have there, which is a beautiful sentiment. So I, I think I would like to ask you to talk about the residents as a group. What are the personalities like? Um, what are the foibles, if you will, the sense of humor? I, I think such an important part of uh, the match process with the neurosurgery, because it's such a long program, is is the fit. You know, we always talk about the fit with the group. So maybe for the listeners who can't visit in person this year, What's your group like as people? Yeah, I think that's arguably the most important thing because I think there's a lot of amazing training programs around the U.S. And ultimately, I think it's um, the environment you're in that's really going to support you for seven years, which is an incredibly long training uh, period. And so for us, um, you're right. We, we mention residents all the time because they are the culture of our program. They're the energy of our program. And they're sort of the pride of our program. Um, and so when we look for resident applicants, and frankly, what I tell resident applicants who are applying either here or others elsewhere, um, you know, you want to find a place where you feel that you can do the best during those seven years. And whether that's a geographic reason, if it's an institutional reason, all of the above, I think is, is, is a very important part of it. I, I think, you know, you mentioned faith. We're lucky. Our, our um, faith is amazing. All of our residents are amazing. And, and we have three a year, um, seven classes, that, that's 21. So 21 residents. Um, there's not a particular phenotype. In fact, we often just look for folks who um, have done amazing things with the resources they're given um, and want to change the field of neurosurgery. And, and um, you know, within that, it's not a, a, as cliched as it sounds. What we're looking for is, is the folks who want to excel and be the best surgeon, but also contribute to the field outside of the OR as well. And that can be in any walk. And I think um, that what some do that traditionally in research, some do that in policy, some do that with an MBA, some do that with another degree or global health. Um, that's why we feel so strongly about dedicating two years to uh, some type of pursuit. We call it academic pursuit, but it could frankly be any pursuit uh, that can advance not only your career as a resident, but frankly, the, our field. And, and that's the type of person we're looking for is somebody who has that fire, that energy, um, but it's not at the cost of operative volume or operative skill or uh, academic pursuits, which we obviously do everything in our power to support. Well said. Well, Dr. Nahed, we want to thank you for your time coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast today to let the people know about neurosurgery at the Mass General. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's our pleasure. And uh, anybody can always feel free to email me directly if I can answer any questions or, or provide more insight into our program. Thank you for doing this. It's such an important resource, uh, particularly in this year where um, it, it's difficult to come to programs. But we welcome any, any email inquiries. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, we continue our discussion with programs, and we're joined by Ira Goldstein, who is the head of the program and residency training at Rutgers. Ira, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to have this uh, venue and to speak about my program. 
Great, fantastic. Um, just to, to recap some of the things that have happened, there's been a lot of change in New Jersey. It's a big and important place, but um, you used to work at a place called UMDNJ, and then there was a unification with Rutgers, and now you guys are just Rutgers, right? Correct. Uh, Rutgers as a brand name certainly has a bit more of a cachet with the general public than UMDNJ did. In 2015, what was then the multiple units of UMDNJ, the uh, healthcare uh, arm of the uh, State University of New Jersey, was incorporated into Rutgers as a single entity. Well, Dr. Goldstein, um, you know, having discussed these changes in affiliations and structure in the past, perhaps we can look at today and, and you could give us a brief overview about what the residency structure looks like and what the people in it are like. Yeah, we've had uh, quite a bit of change in the past few years. In 2018, Rutgers had two campuses, the New Jersey Medical School campus in Newark and the Robert Wood Johnson School of Medicine in New Brunswick. And both sites, at least as far as neurosurgery is concerned, uh, became a single entity. Dr. Neil Nanda joined us as the chairman, and Rutgers and the largest hospital system in New Jersey, the Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Healthcare System, also formed an agreement, a partnership, uh, in which the clinical services uh, throughout this hospital network would be provided by RWJ Barnabas and the education and research by Rutgers. So Dr. Nanda was also named the system director for neuroscience and orthopedics across this system. So it created a tremendous amount of unification at this moment in time. In 2019, we uh, merged or perhaps incorporated the osteopathic training program that was at St. Barnabas into our own training program. So we increased from 14 to 18 residents. So at this time, we now have three principal training sites. There is University Hospital, which is the traditional home of the residency training program in Newark, Robert Wood Johnson University uh, Hospital in New Brunswick, and St. Barnabas Medical Center. Uh, we split our residents roughly equally between the three sites, and they complement one another fairly nicely. University Hospital is a level one is a level one trauma center and maybe consider a safety net hospital serving uh, the patients of Newark and the surrounding areas. St. Barnabas, now Cooperman Barnabas, is a very large uh, private community hospital. A lot of elective cases and a lot of private practice neurosurgeons were there. And Robert Wood Johnson's a trauma center as well as the cancer center uh, for the system as well as the Cancer Institute of New Jersey. So each provides a fairly unique perspective uh, in terms of not just the scope of neurosurgery, but also the patients that we serve. Now, that's really interesting because I remember that unification and the Barnabas DO program, the osteopathic program, was one of the best in the country. So you really brought in a, a large number of fine residents and, and some of them, they're like Matthew Cummock, uh, they're, they're friends of ours here in Miami. So we've had them on the podcast before. So tell us, what is the complement looking like? Do you have three residents a year now? Or are you going to four? What's going to happen with, with all of this change and flux and growth? Right. We currently alternate between two and three residents. My hope is that we're going to be able to uh, increase that complement to get to three per year. Certainly, as a program director, it makes my math a lot easier to have 21 divisible by three sites as opposed to 18. 
Um, but the, the intent is we've been growing the faculty significantly over the past two years. It's not just these three training sites, but also the many, many, many hospitals within this hospital network that we want to increasingly staff with uh, Rutgers neurosurgeons and to create more of a hub and spoke type model with these training centers, being able to capitalize on a lot of the uh, clinical volume that goes into these surrounding centers to drive not just case numbers, but also complexity for our residents to see at the training sites. Well, having mentioned the complement and, and how the residents are split between these sites, maybe we could talk a bit about the residents themselves. What are the personalities like in the department? What's the culture amongst the residents like? And I guess with that in mind, what kind of qualities are you looking for in the applicants this year? You know, we are extreme, or I should say, I'm extremely proud of our residents in that we've put them through a lot in the past three years. There's been a lot of change. You know, there's the merger of the programs. There's the addition of the site. Uh, there's a change in terms of the resident breakdown. It used to be 11 at University in Newark and three, maybe four at New Brunswick. Now it's basically six, six, seven between the three sites. So that's a lot, a lot of change for them to go through in a short period of time. In addition to adding these six guys from the Barnabas program, they've meshed extraordinarily well with the existing allopathic residents. It's a tight-knit group, and you'd be hard-pressed to figure you know, from looking at them as they interact with one another at, you know, wellness events or during our conferences or when they meet and greet with our applicants to the program, uh, who was Legacy Rutgers, who was Legacy Barnabas. So we've increasingly had uh, more and more of our residents go into academic positions over the past few years. We're now roughly 50-50 between academic and private practice. And we're probably more like 60%, maybe 66% of our graduates uh, pursue advanced fellowships after training. But one of the real pursuits that Dr. Hernandez had in uh, coming into New Jersey was to build not just a very strong clinical program here, but also to you know, really work on the research arm of that. So he's hired seven PhDs as research faculty with a lot of R1 grant funding amongst them. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, to really capitalize on this uh, intellectual capital with our residents um, to increase their exposure to not just clinical research, but also a lot of the basic science that they do. Yeah, that's really wonderful. But, you know, one of the features I, I remember hearing about in your program, you can tell me, uh, if I'm wrong, or maybe elaborate upon it, which is that you have a very strong experience with the, I don't, I don't want to call them private practitioners, but the, the surgeons that operate in those hospitals, right? So in other words, you have the academic piece, but you have an absolutely phenomenal volume of just surgery being done. Is that correct? Yeah, we've got um, a, a strong clinical program at each of the three sites. And what is unique is that at St. Barnabas, we have 50 private practice neurosurgeons who work there, in addition to a number of the Rutgers faculty. So it's a tremendous experience, first in terms of the breadth of exposure to a different way of you know, doing similar, similar cases that they bring to the table, um, but also the fact that they do things that we don't. They manage practices, they manage offices, they manage personnel. There are things that they can learn from, you know, some of these folks that I couldn't begin to 
you know, to try to teach or to offer them. And the rest of our faculty, likewise, being in, you know, in academic uh, practice, we aren't involved in hiring and firing of personnel. We are not involved in, you know, trying to do some of the nitty gritty and dealing with marketing, things of that sort that, you know, these guys do on a regular basis because New Jersey is a tough economic landscape. There's a lot of competition in Northern Jersey. And, you know, these are some very successful surgeons who our residents get to work with. You know, Dr. Goldstein, speaking of Northern New Jersey and the area where you're in practice, I wonder if you could talk a bit about what it's like living there. Uh, What kinds of things do the residents do to spend their time in off hours? What are the living situations like for most of them? What is life like outside the hospital for your residents? Our residents are a very cohesive group, which is great since they're split up between the three sites, which are, uh, in the case of Robert Wood Johnson, not that close to the other two hospitals. The majority of our residents live in or around Jersey City. Jersey City is right across the Hudson from Manhattan. So we have probably about 20% 20% of our residents uh, have families, so they are a little less inclined to go out and, you know, bar hop and whatnot, uh, but quite a few of them do. I mean, they hang out together in their free time, and there are a lot of offerings that New Jersey has. You know, being that we're fairly densely populated, there are a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, a lot of clubs, and things that people a lot younger than me might make use of. Uh, but in addition, New Jersey has not just easy access to New York and to Philadelphia, uh, but also the Jersey Shore, Atlantic City, and the Jersey Highlands, which is basically a very rural, very wooded, mountainous area uh, where some of our guys mountain bike and hike and you know, do uh, outdoor activities, which we strongly encourage uh, because it's great for their health and well-being. Uh, to, to do things, to escape the, you know, the regular uh, daily grind of being a resident. Phenomenal. Well, Dr. Goldstein, I just want to thank you on behalf of us and our listeners, in particular the applicants this year, for coming on the show to give them an inside look at Rutgers Neurosurgery. Thanks for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to join you. I appreciate the opportunity. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast, here with another of our ongoing series and residency spotlights for this year's interview season. We are delighted to be joined by Dr. Akash Patel, the Program Director at Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Patel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. Um, Maybe for our listeners, and particularly for the applicants this year, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and introduce your view and, and your vision of the program there at Baylor from the inside? Okay. Uh, my name's Akash Patel, as you, as you mentioned, and I uh, do skull-based tumor surgery here at Baylor. And I'm also the residency program director. Um, we have a, a pretty big program, uh, five hospital sites, and we're, we're very proud of, uh, of the residents that we train. We train four per year, so we're a pretty big in terms of hospital sites, but also in terms of number of residents. Uh, We have a pretty uh, academic program, but we still prioritize surgical excellence. So I think that's an important aspect of our program that we were particularly proud of. Now, Dr. Patel, I remember, you know, from when I was interviewing, and we're probably about the same age, that Baylor was 
a special place. You had um, Ben Taub Trauma Center. And That's it, right. was, it was just an amazing place. But I remember it being maybe clinically the hardest program in the country. I know a lot of people think that they're at a hard training program, but the, the hours and the, the nature of it was really like a true grist mill. But the product was that residents were exceedingly well clinically trained. Is that still the case? Yeah, uh, I, I'm glad you point that out. You know, I, I think that is still the case. And it's something that we're sort of proud of. Over the last decade, we've added a year of research and, and added all of these these things to help our residents be as academically productive as possible. But that that core uh, sort of feeling of our uh, being clinically really busy and and uh, well trained, I think, is still an important aspect of of our culture here. As you mentioned, we have Ben Taub, uh Hospital, which is still the jewel of our program. Uh, it's a county hospital. It's actually very beautiful now. They've updated their ORs and, and the hospital. They've built a new tower. and uh, But it's still a very much a big part of our program. The residents really lead the charge there um, and with close supervision are able to do really a high complexity of cases. But there's no question that I think the thing that I'm most proud of about our residents is that they work hard. Uh, there's no no doubt about that. They work hard, but they they do it with passion and um you know that really just sort of seeps all throughout the program you know dr patel maybe we could talk a little bit more uh, about the residents and, and the characteristics of the folks that you select and who ultimately graduate from your program i mean i i don't know if there's truth to this but when i was interviewing a few years ago i i heard descriptions of the program there that on-call residents are responsible for multiple hospitals and they're, they're getting calls from multiple hospitals in the region when they're on call overnight alone. And, and I just can't imagine the kind of grit and dedication and endurance that it takes to successfully train in a place like that. So what do you think are the qualities of the people in your complement right now and therefore what you're looking for in the applicants this year? Yeah, I mean, I think we're looking for people who are self-motivated and just willing to get the job done no matter what it takes. You're right about uh, the the call. You know, a few years ago, um, in order to help make sure our program was in compliance with duty hour regulations, we actually created a night float system where we have a resident who's on call each night that covers three of our five hospitals. So that person's on call for MD Anderson, Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor St. Luke's Hospital as our private hospital. Talk about Navy SEALs and medicine, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I often make that analogy. And uh, I think, you know, honestly, no matter where you train in neurosurgery, I think it requires a level of hard work and dedication that that is really unmatched in uh, many other professions. Now, Dr. Patel, it's very interesting to me, um, you know, Baylor, I think, was the original Houston program, and, and Bob Grossman, unfortunately, just passed, I think, a month ago, right? So it's a huge loss for neurosurgery, and I would direct the listeners uh, who are not familiar with who Dr. Grossman was. He was a very important figure, and he took care of JFK as a resident before he passed away, uh, obviously, with the assassination. Um, and, you know, 
I, I was following all the stuff that happened in Houston. And the reality is that Baylor sprung out into all these other programs in Houston, which is about to be the third biggest city in America, right? So help us, you know, understand what are the differences between your program and the others and not to not to beat on the other programs because we're going to interview them all. But what do you think makes the Baylor program unique? Yeah, I think that uh, the five different hospitals that we serve makes the Baylor program unique. So, uh, you know, most programs are in one shop and you basically residents go there. They're all in one one shop and they work together every day for seven years in our program. And this has been the case since Dr. Grossman was the chair. Um, as you mentioned, that was a big loss for the Baylor family me, me as well. I mean, I was a medical student deciding on what I wanted to do, uh, when I first met Dr. Grossman and he had, uh, a lot of influence in, on me in, in ultimately going into neurosurgery. But, but the five hospitals allow us to treat a real diverse group of patients. So we have Bentop Hospital, where you're really taking care of the indigent population, um, undocumented population. So you see pathology that's very different from what you see at our private hospital, which is Baylor St. Luke's. And at Baylor St. Luke's Hospital, you see cases you would expect to see at a private hospital, complex cranial and complex spine cases, mostly elective. Um, ben Tobb, of course, you get trauma. So that's uh, a, a, that's everybody, you know, in terms of patient population. And then we have a VA hospital. And the VA hospital is one of the biggest in the country. Um, and And you get to take care of veterans, which is, again, a very different and unique group of people. The last two hospitals are Texas Children's Hospital, which is a full-service children's hospital. It's one of the largest in the country, and you see all kinds of pathology. It's a regional referral center, um, and then, of course, we have MD Anderson, which is a cancer hospital, and again, it's, it's a very unique experience to be able to work at a cancer hospital. And let me just highlight for our listeners that what a unique opportunity it is. Uh, when I was the president of the Society of University Neurosurgeons, our reception was with uh, your program in Houston and with uh, MD Anderson. And I learned a lot about the history there. And the VA hospital there is the original VA hospital that was set up by Michael DeBakey. And it's over a thousand beds, right? So when we talk about everything's bigger in Texas, we're not kidding. Most people are used to the VA hospital being like, it's just a place where people do some cases. But that hospital is bigger than almost every university hospital in the country, right? Yeah, it's actually the second largest government building in America behind the Pentagon. Uh, wow. so, so it's a massive building with, again, updated ORs. You know, they've got more equipment than some of the private hospitals in our area. That's incredible. Well, well, Dr. Patel, you know, we need to respect your time. But as we're reaching the end of our conversation here, I wonder if you could talk a bit about life in Houston. What kinds of things are available for the residents and what kinds of things they do in their off time when they're not covering all of these hospitals. Um, I can personally vouch for the barbecue there. I've been to Houston a few times and enjoyed it uh, with each visit, but maybe you can share for the applicants this year what uh, what life is like there. Yeah, um, I think Dr. Wang actually um, touched on an important point. Most people don't realize, I mean, Houston is a really big city. And so you get all the things that you would expect with big city life. Um, it's the fourth largest city you know, soon to be the third largest city in the country. So there's a lot of people. 
It's very diverse. It's probably one of the most diverse cities in America. Um, and the food scene is outstanding. So uh, one thing I really have come to love about Houston is is the food scene. I mean, you can get any kind of ethnic food at a high quality, um, you know, anywhere. It's amazing. And uh, but then we also have other things like sports teams uh, and uh, restaurants and bar scene and and stuff like that. Um, so it's really it's really a fun city. The other thing that's really nice about it is pretty affordable. So a lot of our residents actually live very close to the medical center. Um, one thing that's different about uh, our program, which has multiple sites than others, is that even though there are multiple sites we cover, the sites are all next door to each other. So you know, within about a half a mile or, or three quarters of a mile is every hospital site that you're going to see. And that's just that's just one of the quirks about being in the in Houston and the Texas Medical Center. The Texas Medical Center really looks like the downtown of most cities. Uh, so you just have basically all these other programs that you talked about, Dr. Wang. Um, they're all next door to us. We're all just neighbors. Yeah, that I, let me just echo on that because it's the medical quarter of the city, which is enormous, and all the hospitals. I never understood it; they're all right next to each other. And I, most of us who are of our ilk took our boards there, right in Houston, so we know well. And um, you know, we're small fry in Miami, but you know, I, I just want to comment and close by saying that John Paul's new home city of Chicago, which is the third biggest in America, is about to be overtaken by you guys in Houston. So uh, there's no shortage of patients. It's, I'm sure it's a fantastic program and congratulations on being program director. Uh, good luck in the match. Thank you guys for having me this morning. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself Dr. Wang and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.